Vintage video gaming edition. So we do reviews. Do a little retro gaming news as well. So it's all in all a good time. Hope everybody's week is going good. Thursday. The 16th. So. What's going on? Not much. My week's going pretty well. So. We got uh, time crisis. I'm gonna review that. Like I said, some uh, retro gaming news with Lucy B. I'm gonna get them in on that as well. Hope everybody's doing good. Um, let's go ahead and get them in. Actually, no, let's don't. Um, <clears throat> so going to give you an update on the Dreamcast Pie situation. Now, I know I'm fucking up on this. So, went ahead and tried to get it set up uh night before last. And what happened was I don't have the uh, broadband adapter for the actual Dreamcast. So, I got one on order. And, you know, we're going to get this shit going, okay? <laughs> no more bullshitting. When this adapter comes in, um, definitely going to try to get online. Hopefully, it's not going to be another thing to where it's just something after, you know, something, one thing after another. But <clears throat> we shall see. So, let's go ahead and get old Lucy B in and see what's going on with that 
one moment here. goats huh you know i worked with some west african uh, guys uh, at a job and uh, they were really they love goats man they're trying to sell me on uh i'm getting a goat yeah that's good eating there boy oh i love me a goat mm, the goat head is the best oh i think i'm gonna have to pass on that man let's go ahead and get to the news all right fucker let's see what's going on in vintage gaming news guys well, dust it off now. You could be sitting on a retro gaming fortune. Did you know that, Grant? I don't have any old stuff, man. Like really old stuff. I think, uh, you know, it's all uh, it's all gone. Everything I got is new or bought. You know. Oh man, I don't have anything either. I played the shit out of mine, and uh, it got either broken or. Uh, I don't have anything at the moment, except uh, I got a Nintendo Switch, but that's not worth anything. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, anyway, uh, so you may not realize it, but old Nintendo PlayStation games have been they've been going up in value. Last month, the most expensive video game ever sold. Um was sold for two million. You drunk or some shit, fucker? Shut up. For two million, I lost my place, asshole. Uh, for two million dollars, that was a copy, an unopened copy of classic video game Super Mario Brothers for the NES, released back in 1985. This game have their sealed copies of Super Mario 64. That one was released in the 90s. And The Legend of Zelda sold for $1.5 million dollars and 870000 respectively. 
is a nice piece of change. The vintage gaming market has been changing rapidly recently, with auction houses getting involved in the sale of classic games. And to verify the authenticity of these valuable gaming relics, gaming grading services are providing certificates to accompany these pop culture artifacts. The surging prices mean a gaming bargain you picked up years ago at a car boot sale could now be worth a lot of money. Man, see, I, like I was saying, man, I don't have any unopened games, you know? All that shit's unopened stuff. I opened mine and played with it and uh, and all that, you know? That's what she said. Oh, God, shut your ass up. <laughs> Fuck you, motherfucker. Anyway, uh, let's see. It's, uh, what, what else is going on in the vintage video gaming world, guys? You know what? This isn't uh, really vintage video gaming, but um, see, they're doing a. You remember Shira? I never got into Shira, dude. Well, most of us know Shira as the female counterpart of He Man, right? I guess, man. Well. Uh, I don't like your lack of enthusiasm. Uh, anyway, I'm going to get on with this story. Please. Please do that. Fuck you. Most of us know She-Ra as the female counterpart of He-Man, the He-Man cartoon and action figures. But new generations may know her from the Netflix animated series that began streaming in 2018. Well, she will come back once again. But now, with their own live-action film. So, Variety has reported that Amazon Studios has begun pre-production of this movie. Uh, it's still in its early stages. So, no more info right now. But, we, uh, She-Ra is He-Man's twin sister. Her real name is Adora. And, uh, she was kidnapped and taken to another kingdom when she was a baby. So, she never knew her brother Adam until she was older. She was absent from having her own television show for many decades, until DreamWorks and Netflix joined forces to bring her back in She-Ra and the Princess of Power in 2018. But this new movie will have nothing to do with the previous iterations of the character. Amazon Studios will produce and will produce it, and everything will probably be new. So, um, to be continued, I know you are anxiously awaiting... Um, the She-Ra news. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. How'd you know that? I just know you, my man. <laughs> anyway, oh. Uh, what else is going on? Uh, a new report alleges auction and grading fraud is behind recent surge in retro game prices. So we're just talking about how those uh, you know prices are going up on the unopened stuff. So this is kind of affiliated with that. This new report 
which has seen uh, this new report alleges a fraud in the credit and auction process, which has seen a recent surge in retro auction prices, most notably leading to a copy of Super Mario Brothers selling for $2 million, which I just talked about. So, in this investigation, journalist Carl Jobst, um, he finds that grading company Water Games and collection auction company Heritage Auctions have been complicit in artificially inflating the value of retro video games for their own game. Or the, the value of the market, it says, let me get that right, the value of the retro video game market for their own game. There you go. Yeah, get it right. <laughs> Fuck you. Jobs alleges that Wata President and CEO Dennis Zakan has been working with Heritage Auto, or Auction Auto. Oh, oh my God. Let me just stop. Yeah, it's just, just, just stop a minute. Just whew, calm down. All right. Heritage Auctions co-founder Jim Halperin to manipulate the market through press releases and interviews claiming the value of retro games would continue to rise. Uh, Wada directors have been grading their own games and artificially raising value, raising their value. It's claimed that very few games sold for extremely high prices are actually bought by game collectors. So Wata has issued a statement to VGC, which it claims the allegation made in its report are baseless and defamatory. A spokesman said, or a spokesperson said, Wada Games is a trusted leader in collectible video game grading and we're honored to play a key role in this booming industry uh, that we are incredibly passionate about. We're humbled by the support of our thousands of customers who trust us to provide accurate and transparent grading. The claims in this video are completely baseless and defamatory, and it is unfortunate that Mr. Jobs did not contact us to give us the opportunity to correct him. Alrighty, so they're saying they didn't do anything. We've already talked about the surge happening. Crazy shit. Of course, there's going to be always some kind of evil shit or... Somebody trying to manipulate the market in every kind of sector. So it's not surprising. Um, what do you think, Grant? Yeah, I, mean, I think you're right about that. It's definitely greedy fuckers out there trying to make that cash. But, you know, I guess uh, they'll get what's coming to them. Hell, who knows? Yeah, who knows? Crazy shit. So we'll see what happens with that. They got a lot of shit going on. I wish I had some unopened copies of Super Mario. Super Mario. Super Mario. Yeah, that would be nice, man. I would cash in. But I don't. Me neither, man. Some fucking bullshit. I know, man. I'm pissed off about it. I'm pissed off about it. But you know what, man? We can't do anything. It's uh, fun to dream. Yeah. All right, so let's get on with it. Uh, I'm going to do a couple of more now. You know one of my favorite video games is Devil May Cry. Devil May Cry. So Devil May Cry and Bayonetta creator Hideki Kamea says game preservation efforts aren't good enough. Veteran creator Hideki Kamea, Kamea, I'm terrible with names, has spoken 
out about problems surrounding game preservation. Warning that video game that the video game industry faces problems if companies don't do a better job of maintaining older titles for future generations. Unlike music or film, video games are often format locked. That is playable only on the hardware they were originally released on. While next-gen ports or remasters aren't uncommon, many titles still get lost. You know, because they're old as hell and, you know, shit goes out of uh, commission. This scarcity not only makes it harder for newer players to dive into gaming's history, but leads to massively inflated prices on the secondary market. The recent trend of record-setting auctions for video games, vintage video games, that is, is a big part of the preservation problem, according to Kamiya. I'm going to say Kamiya, Kamiya. Yeah, fuck it. While some speculate that there may be a degree of market rigging going on, the high cost of classic games is partly down due to titles not being available elsewhere. As a collector myself, I understand the lure of wanting to have that game in the sealed package, Kamaya told VCG. But as a fan, it's a problem if somebody wants to play a game, but they can't get it because it's being traded in these ridiculous marketplaces. Kamaya added that the responsibility for keeping those games available belongs to a company that owns the IP, saying that the lack of availability on newer platforms is like a threat and is holding the gaming culture back. He also called on right rights owners to actively make moves on preser or make to oh shit fuck ass I can't or I can't read tonight I apologize let's start over he also called on rights owners to actively make quote moves to preserve game culture and increase the availability of classic games for anyone who wants to play them end quote Kamaya came to prominence as director of 1998's Resident Evil 2, a particularly good game, I might add, as a sidebar, at Capcom, going on to create the likes of Devil May Cry, Beautiful Joe, and Okami for the Japanese publisher. He would ultimately help found Platinum Games in 2006, where he directed Bayonetta and the Wonderful 101. Many of these games have been ported, re-released, or remastered over the years, keeping them available to new players. Platinum Games last week said it wanted to bring Wii, uh, Wii U-exclusive Star Fox Zero to the Nintendo Switch. Another win for game preservation if this happens. Cool story, man. Um, you know, talking about emulators and that shit, which... Um, those things are annoying because um, they're not always seamless, man. I know I've talked about this before on different uh, on a different podcast, maybe maybe on previous ones actually. Blah, blah, blah. But uh, so you'll have like this badass. I think I mentioned the Odroid setup, right? It's what I had. Oh yeah, yeah, that shit looks cool though. Yeah, I mean it looks cool, but the whole problem is every time. You go. You would go on to it. You have to configure the controller. It's not. You can just go in and play. It's like you got to make sure everything works, and it's just a pain in the ass, man. It's not seamless. Oh, I gotcha. Yeah, I gotcha. That would be a pain in the ass. So the cool thing with that Dreamcast uh, GDMU uh, set, uh, 
system. You can just plug that thing in, boom, play games. It's really easy and awesome. But that's like a reason I were talking about that would somehow, and I know it's all kind of licensing problems like we were discussing as far as getting something like this going, but you know, vintage video gaming online, like all of this shit online with the classic games all broken down, but all multiplayer or the ones that you could do multiplayer on or how, you know what I mean? As far as the vintageness goes, you know, I guess something like Steam, but just for the vintage games, you know, in that kind of vein. And of course that would fucking rule, but um, probably not going to have it anytime soon because of licensing issues. Which would be a pain in the arse. Yes, that would. That would be a pain in the arse. Yeah. Uh, as far as uh, that goes, I love some vintage gaming myself. Uh, that's why I'm doing or on the podcast with you, my friend. Let's see. We have any more interesting stories before I have to take out the trash? My wife is bitching again. Uh, I'm going to go with one more story, guys, and then I'm going to flip it back to your boy, Grant Mills, and let him take over for the vintage gaming review of the night. (laughs) Last story. Rumor. Nintendo will expand its Switch Online service with Game Boy and Game Boy Color titles. I never really got into the Game Boy or Game Boy Color. I don't know. I got into the Game Boy, but uh, not Game Boy Color. I wasn't rich enough for the Game Boy Color. I never even had a Game Boy, man. That's for pussies. Man, shut the hell up. You're always talking that shit. <laughs> I'll just play them. Anyway, so with this uh, um, story, what's going on with it, you're probably asking. Well, want to hear about it? Here it goes. Our friends over at, uh, what is the name of that site? I don't want to say it. Anyway, people over at the site have done some digging, and they're looking at the Game Boy Color and Game Boy Game Color Games. They have corroborated this report that they are going to go to the Nintendo Switch Online. So, you vintage fuckers that like Game Boy and Game Boy Color and have a Nintendo Switch and get online, that's kind of cool. I thought the Nintendo Switch was a cool system, but, you know, like I said, I have one. You should get one, Grant, you puss. I I don't know, man. I was thinking about getting one. They got some cool-looking games on there, man, and uh, I think you can actually uh, get online. And check out some cool stuff too. So, like, like you just said, that uh, that fucking uh, the old Game Boy games. I probably wouldn't do that, but I'm still kind of a cool feature. Oh yeah, I don't, I, I don't give a shit about Game Boy, man. Uh, fuck that. So, whatever. I guess that's kind of cool. Like I said, I like the Nintendo Switch, but I like the newer games, man. I still like vintage gaming, but. That's, um, the Nintendo Switch is a cool system. Go take out the trash, bitch. Fuck you. (laughs) Fuck you. All right, well, I'm out. I'll see you on Monday, Grant. All right, Lucy. Tell the wife I said hi. Will do.
I'm out. <laughs> Have a good weekend. Thank you, Lucy. Lucy B appears courtesy of West Dolomite University Hotline. All right, guys. So now, as I promised, we're going to get into some vintage video game reveal, or actually a review. Maybe I might throw another one in here because this is one of those games. Now, I've been on a kick lately with these games. Well, actually, I've just done one like this when I'm talking about this kind of... No, I'll take it back. Maybe two. This kind of game in the arcade. This is Time Crisis, right? This is an arcade game. But it's a fancy, you know, got the bit, you got a gun, and it's got like a whole display, kind of like what, Afterburn? Well, not Afterburner, but it's the same vein of those games, right? Dance Dance Revolution, there's a big, you know, the whole thing is the display or whatever. The game itself, you know, was interactive, and it's just some cool shit. Like the the uh, Jurassic Park game, right? You get into that big thingamadoob, whatever the hell it is, contraption, Get in there with your buddy. And that's another cool thing about the games. The buddy factor, your buddy in there, and you're shooting up shit. So, Time Crisis. Let's get back to it. I'm getting, I'm going off the fucking rails here. Time Crisis, all right? Time Crisis is a first-person on-rails light gun shooter, right? Uh, this game was developed by Namco. Introduced in 1995, it is focused on the exploits of fictional international intelligence agency... I have a fictional international international intelligence agency who assigns its best agents to deal with a major threat by a hostile organization, which has ranged from criminals to terrorists, hostile military outfits, and mostly take place within fictional locations across the globe. The arcade series differed from other light gun shooters of its time by incorporating unique mechanics, including the ability to duck and to cover, to dodge attacks and reload the player's weapon, and forcing players to complete battles in each level with an allotted amount of time. Over time, the series developed to incorporate additional features of gameplay, including two-player co-op modes on arcade machines, the ability to use additional weapons in combat, and dealing with dangerous events. Alongside arcade machines, the series was also developed for consoles, beginning with the port of the first installment to the PlayStation consoles in 1995, with all ported versions of arcade titles featuring additional content and game mechanics, such as additional stages and different difficulty modes. Alongside the main games in the series, it has spawned a number of spin-off titles, that incorporate the cover mechanics and time limit gameplay elements, but with notable differences in combat situations and organizations involved in each game's story. So this was a cool-ass game, right? It's big as hell, or it was big as hell in the arcade, right? Two players, so you got your buddy with the guns, and when you shot the gun... It, it, like, clicked back. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's, like, really shot, you know? So, very cool, very cool game. Played this a lot. And then, like it said, they had the sequels. I didn't play all of the sequels except two. And then there was one that you had a machine gun. And I think that was Crisis Zone. And that was 
fucking cool too. So as you already can probably tell, this is going to be a pretty good review. We can get into the gameplay and overview, okay? So Time Crisis focuses on shooting on-screen enemies, right? And an area with a specific time limit to continue on to the next area and complete the level. Um, so the graphics were cool as well for this time. Usually all arcade games were. You're like, oh, man, cool, right? This would be a cool um, feature to the game room, actually, if you... You know, your ballin' had money, had a kick-ass game room. This would be one of the things I would put in here because it's that damn cool. It had pedals on there on the uh, so like basically this the uh, the player steps on a foot pedal, have the player emerge from cover and attack enemies, and then you release the foot pedal to get behind the cover, protecting the character from enemy attacks, but leaving them unable to shoot. In Time Crisis 5, the pedal has been redesigned as two pedals, one on the left and one on the right, to give player two positions from which to emerge and cover and catch enemies unaware. The player must take cover to reload their standard gun. Time Crisis 3 introduced new weapons, a machine gun, a shotgun, and grenade launcher that have limited ammunition but can be replenished by killing certain enemies. To switch weapons in Time Crisis 3 and 4, the player must press the trigger while... Uh, behind cover. In Time Crisis 5, a separate button located on the left and right of the gun controller allows the player to switch weapons at any point. The countdown clock prevents the player from remaining behind cover too long and imposes a time limit to clear the stage of enemies. The player must manage their time in and out of cover to attack enemies on sight while, vo- while avoiding being hit by direct shots. In Time Crisis and Project Titan, after the clearance of an area, the game adds only a partial amount of time to the overall clock while the timer keeps running down and the game ends if the time reaches zero. In multiplayer installments, starting with Time Crisis 2, the clock resets after the player clears their immediate area of enemies and will deduct one life point if it reaches zero. Time Crisis 5 introduces new scenario-specific time sequences apart from the standard countdown clock where the player must act within a specific time frame. Dodge moments. The player must press the indicated left or right pedal to avoid a hit from incoming debris. I definitely remember that. had grenades and stuff. A sniper level um, from concealed positions and slow motion target sequences. (laughs) So... The setting of each time crisis revolves around a serious threat to usually one nation. However, some games have involved a threat to either the world, Time Crisis 2, or the protagonist, Time Crisis Project Titan, the VSSE, Final Situation Swift Elimination, a covert organization must send its highly skilled agents to eliminate any security threats. The first time crisis had three stages with four areas each. <laughs> the second and third installments have three stages, each with three areas. The fourth installment adds a prologue for a total of four stages each with three areas, with the exception of the prologue, which only has one. The fifth installment has an exclusive upgrade kit version to double the stages from three to six with three areas interconnected with each other. Thus, there would be no breaks or loadings after clearing an area, with the exception of the final stage, which only has one area. All right, so there's dangerous situations, and it's kind of, you know, 
it, it's what a gun game should be, man. Right. All the fun, you know, the, uh, the gun that's got the sounds when you, uh, shoot that bitch. Um, uh, awesome game, man. We're going to go, I'm going to go four out of five on this. So we got time crisis. You know what? I'm going to go five out of five on this bad boy because the ports are also good too. Cause they ported it over. And I remember specifically playing, playing, this bad boy on the playstation one with the light gun and it was good it was fun uh, for a port because the dreamcast gun sucks it hard and uh those games aren't fun hell the original nintendo gun was really good with duck hunt that was actually a good gun and they did that well but i think it was a gun con yeah the gun con it was actually good man it worked well and that was a fun game uh, I had a friend that had it, and uh, let me let me borrow it. I think, or I might have I might have bought it later. And I don't know. Anyway, lots of fun with that dude, because it was a cool board that you actually had a gun with. You need a gun with this game. So, anyway, Time Crisis five out of five, bling bling. Time Crisis two, I um, that game was fun too. Uh, as far as a real review on it, I'm not gonna really. We're just gonna go over the uh the series right as far as the game so time crisis time crisis 2 time crisis 3 time crisis 4 time crisis 5 crisis zone so time crisis the original 1995 time crisis 2 1998 3 2002 4 2006 and 5 2015 that is uh that's pretty recent and then the other games, I know we talked about Crisis Zone. That was awesome because you had a machine gun and it would do that same pop back mode, except in like a, like a real machine gun, like, you know, the fast click or whatever. So that was really cool. That game also five out of five because they had a cool machine gun and uh, just a fun game. So, yep. If you, you know, this guy, this has me wanting to go get a PlayStation and a light gun, man. But uh, I'm not going to do that. Maybe I should. Mm. Lots of fun. Lots of fun. I'm going to flash back with the memories here. All right. So Crisis Zone, we did Crisis Zone as well. Uh, you know, Crisis Zone, let's just go ahead and get into that, man. Hell, we're right here with the time crisis. Fuck it. You get a two for two for one, folks. Crisis Zone, gonna do a review. It's the spinoff of Time Crisis, uh, released March 29th, 1999, in the arcade. So, gonna just do a, a quick synopsis. Gonna do the plot, black, you know, background, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you a, a uh, out of five. So, in 2000, the Garland Corporation opens a new complex known as Garland Square on the outskirts of London. Full of modern amenities, it is considered the future of urban living. A day before its grand opening, however, the entire complex is taken over by United Resistance Defense Army, a terrorist group. The terrorists have taken no hostages and made no demands upon takeover, causing a string of confusion among intelligence officials around the world. With an unknown threat, Scotland Yarn and MI6 dispatched the Special Tactical Forces, STF, 1st Platoon Unit led by Claude McGarren, 
spelled as Crod McLaughlin in the archaic version to, to suppress the URDA and to ensure that the terrorists don't access their hidden agenda, whatever it may be. Slowly but surely, the STF liberates the Dry Creek, the Dry Creek Plaza shopping mall. Garland Park and the Garland Technology Center eliminating the URDA's twin lieutenants, Tiger and Edge, Tigger and Edgy in the arcade version, and wiping out their Air Force and Tank. And Tank... Uh, that's what reads weird. And Tank defenses. My bad. Sheesh. After securing Garland Square, McGarren receives word... From vital situation, swift elimination officials that Derek Lynch, the terrorist ringleader, is attempting to overload Geyser 1, an experimental nuclear reactor built by Garland Electric to power seconds before it melts down. No, wait a minute. That doesn't make any sense. To power the complex, duh, via an eyes-only Broadcast, making their way down to the control room five kilometers below the complex. McGarren and his men defeat Lynch's troops before taking out the ringleader himself. McGarren shuts down and secures the nuclear reactor seconds before it melts down. There it is. <laughs> After the STF evacuate and enter a nearby lift, the control room explodes. The unit declares their mission a success. The PlayStation 2 version features a special grass market district mission, which takes place six months after the main story's events. Lynch's successor, Jared Hunter, launches a fresh attack, seizing control of the newly opened grass market district of Garland Square, with the STF director, Grant Kessler's daughter, Melissa, as a hostage. Hunter demands that the surviving URDA members be released from custody in return for Melissa's life. McGarren and his men then take Melissa to... S Wait a minute. That's wrong. <laughs> Let's, uh, in return for Melissa's life. Okay. McGarren and Squad One are sent to rescue her. They fight their way through Grass Market Street, defeating... An ex defeating an experimental defense droid called the A-0940 in the process. They then storm the Belleforte Hotel where Melissa is held on the rooftop swimming pool. There, they are confronted by Hunter and his airborne attack squad. Declaring his intent for revenge, Hunter engages and loses to Squad 1. He then attempts escape in a modified heavily armed speedboat but is killed when the boat is destroyed by McGarren's chopper. McGarren and his men then take Melissa to safety, having ended the URDA's terror once and for all. So, in Crisis Zone, the player controls the elite anti-terrorist special tactics force, SDF leader Claude McGarren. This game uses the same pedal system to reload and hide. However, the player uses a machine gun a customized Stair Manalikar TMP with sight laser and a capacity of 40 rounds. Players take cover behind a portable ballistic shield that is strapped to the character's left arm. The crisis flash is replaced with a warning target icon to remind players to hide from a threatening shot, though it is possible to interrupt the enemy from shooting. Crisis Zone is the first time Crisis game to 
to date to allow the player to select between three levels uh, to play in any order. Upon completion of all three of them, the player can then play the final level to beat the game. Pretty cool. Um, so they did a remake on a PlayStation 2, which we, we did just mention. That version was released in 2000, uh, 2004 in North America, Europe, and Korea. The North American and Korean versions of the game were released as Time Crisis Crisis Zone. The PS2 version comes with more detailed polygons and textures, higher difficulty, re-recorded voice acting, and an additional mission taking place six months after the Crisis Arcade mode. The PS2 version is compatible with the GunCon G-Con 45 in Europe and GunCon 2 light guns and is available with a special two-player cooperative gameplay mode named Two-Gun Mode, which allows two players to play simultaneously on a single screen without the use of a split screen. The weapon-switching system is similar to Time Crisis 3 allowing the player to switch between a fully automatic machine gun, a standard eight-round handgun, and a six-shell shotgun. Unlike its predecessor, all weapons now have unlimited ammunition in Crisis Zone, though they all must be reloaded. As with the PS2 versions of Time Crisis 2 and Time Crisis 3, the Crisis Mission Exercise menu is unlocked, through gradual play, the PS2 exclusive story mode also features special weapons, such as the flamethrower, the missile launcher, the laser rifle, the gatling gun, and the grenade launcher. The downside of these weapons is that they can only be used once per area. Alright, uh, this is gonna be... What did I do, Time Crisis? 5 out of 5? Yeah, I did Time Crisis 5 out of 5, right? Let's do this. It, 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 even if I didn't, fuck it. Uh, 5 out of 5 for Time Crisis, okay? For this one, I'm going to do a 4 out of 5. While it's still fun, it wasn't like uh, the multiplayer. Well, the multiplayer one in the arcade, like, or at least the only version I saw was um, the one player with the one gun. So, still fun. But not as fun as uh, the original. Still fun as hell. Still would be a damn fine game to uh, to have in the game room. Well, I have to do that, man. Games for the game room. I'm gonna I'm gonna do a, a segment on here. I might get Lucy B in on it, and uh, you know we'll do like uh, we'll say unlimited budget. What games would you put in your game room? Yeah, so. I'm going to have that on the lookout. Yeah, I would definitely, that would be one. It's too many, man. I'd be here for maybe not hours, but I'd be here for a while. So that's definitely, we're going to get into that. We're going to get into that. Not on this one, but on a future podcast, guys. So the weekend is upon us. It's Thursday, almost Friday, guys. Going to go ahead and shut her on down. Tune back in on Monday, 9 o'clock. We'll be back with the Everybody Has a Podcast podcast. The 
I don't know what you would say, original version. This is the vintage video game edition. Would you say original edition? So Reza will be back, and of course Lucy B will be with us um, for a news check. So go ahead and go to grantwills.podbean.com. Subscribe, follow us, throw us a little something if you want to. Yeah, I'm gonna play some vintage video games probably after this. I'm gonna get on the Dreamcast, fucking some shit up, and I will mess with the Pi Kit once my adapter, broadband adapter comes in. I hope it works with this. Well, I hope it works with this GDMU kit, but. Stay tuned on that, because the online shit is going to be good. All right. Everybody have a good weekend. Like I said, back on Monday, 9 o'clock. Tune in. Love you all. Smoke it out.